Fuckers. Welcome to No Prize from God, Episode 5. No Prize from God features conversations about belief, unbelief, and everything between. I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey, and today my guest is Tim McTagg, guitarist for the band Under Oath. I first met the Under Oath guys at some point in the late 90s when my old band, Burn It Down, played a show, I believe, in Muncie, Indiana with the earliest or one of the earlier incarnations of Under Oath uh, back when my buddy Dallas Taylor was the vocalist. And they were a evangelical, outspoken Christian band from Florida who played metalcore. They were signed to a record label called Take Hold Records, which a few years later was purchased by Tooth and Nail. My good, good friend Chad Johnson, who ran Take Hold Records, moved up from the South to Seattle to work as head of AR for Tooth and Nail. I believe it was around 2003 when Chad sent me an advanced copy of Under Oath's record, They're Only Chasing Safety. Chad had sent me the record as he was interested in having me talk with the band about potentially managing them. I did end up having a meeting with them on Warp Tour that summer. I suppose this would have been possibly 2004, maybe even 2005. They decided to hire another manager, who is another guy who became a good friend and colleague down the road. And they went on to sell a couple of records that went gold and to help define and redefine over and over again a couple of times a whole genre. Throughout that time period, I had the opportunity to get to know some of them a little bit. I've written about Under Oath a number of times. I've interviewed them. I've written about Spencer Chamberlain's post-Under Oath band, Sleepwave. For a while, I actually was the manager for the band Sullivan, which featured Phil Chamberlain, Spencer's brother, on drums. Phil's also a buddy. So there's a lot of sort of interconnectedness between uh, myself and the Under Oath camp and a lot of uh, mutual friends. You know, Aaron's a great guy. Chris is great. They're all just lovely people. I've, I've always had a very good impression and very good experience with each of them. Tim's probably the one that I've been the closest with over the years. Uh, we don't get an opportunity to see or speak to each other as much as either of us would like to. But one of the great things about this No Prize From God podcast is having an excuse to get together and have the deep conversations that you know we used to have staying up late after a show. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. I definitely got a lot out of it. As always, it was wide-ranging with an anchor somewhere in that realm of the spiritual, the supernatural, and the mystery. There it is, my interview with Tim from Under Oath. This is No Prize from God.
heard this said before, and this is a great opportunity for me to find out if this is actually true. And if it isn't, then I need to stop repeating it. Prior to you being in the band in the super early days, did Under Oath wear corpse paint? They did. They uh, they used to wear chain mail and spikes, death metal, whatever, leather straps and paint their eyes black. And Amazing. Amazing. So, so let's talk a little bit about uh, your background. Did you grow up in Florida? I did grow up in Florida. Um, I was born in Long Island, New York, uh, to 23, 24-year-old parents. And uh, my parents ended, ended up getting divorced when I was like nine or eight, 10 months old. And so my mom took me to live with her mom, my grandmother, uh, in a small like town outside of Tampa when I was like one years old. And that's kind of where I grew up. And then my dad came down and tried to get back together with my mom. And they both started going to a local church and they both became Christians. And then I was the ring bearer in their second wedding. And they've been married ever since and have five kids. Oh, wow. That, that's not usually how that story ends at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a weird one. And it's like such an interesting dynamic because I feel like for me, there's so many stories of like Benny Hinn and Faith Gone Wild and all this shit that people deal with. And it's like, put your hand, hand on a screen. And there's, there's a lot of bastardization of like what a very balanced and focused like look on the world is as revealed by a belief system, whether that be Christianity or anything else. And I just happen to be a product of that gone right. And that's why, you know, people ask me, you know, you really believe in that shit? And I'm like, I, I, I have no choice, but to at least know that that shit works sometimes and I can meet you there. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think that that's really where, people you know and it's just experiences you know and that's why we have christians and that's why we have racists and everything in between is because you grew up you experienced these 10 major points in your life and that shaped your worldview forever and i think it takes a really large person to understand i believe what i believe because of a very closed set of experiences and there's still a lot of work out there to do on myself. And there's still a lot of world out there that you haven't experienced. So don't set a belief system in motion at 12 years old and let that be the end of it. Because that's where bigotry and homophobia and zealous Christianity comes from. And I think that the hardest part is I think people don't want to admit that being an overzealous right-wing evangelical Christian is just as bad as being in the KKK sometimes, but it is. And it's because it comes from the same type of conditioning and blindness to other people's positions. And it's just a really, it's a really nuanced topic and you can't say it so flashy in conversation because you sound either crazy or like you're trying to spin it. But if you get down to the deep web psychology, the extremists on all sides come from the same ilk of just a very small mindset built with a very large fortress. And that's just not healthy for anyone. I'm going to give you an amen and a hallelujah to all of that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you, I think you've really hit upon something crucial here. That's often way too often overlooked, which is that, yeah, these formative experiences that we have, particularly in childhood and early adulthood really do shape and inform how our worldview comes together. And that's not to dismiss anybody's particular version of 
of what they see as truth, but more so to emphasize an openness and a willingness to continue to grow and to understand and investigate and bring in new experiences and not be terrified of having them modify um, who you were yesterday. I mean, that, I feel like that's kind of the whole point of this whole Absolutely. thing floating around on this rock in outer space, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's really, that's like, I think the most freeing thing that people that have a very hardline ingrained belief system in it's, it's a tough one, but I feel like the number one thing I've seen work across multi mediums of trapped belief systems or one-sided belief systems, let's call it that is the words I don't know are worse than saying the worst thing in the world to a lot of people, because that just leaves a lot of room for other injections. And I think that the second you start being comfortable with, I don't know, you realize that you're one sided and you're extreme, but you've never even given the other side a thought. And that's like, you know, I deal with that a lot with the Westboro Baptist church. You know, it's like, I look at these people and I'm like, there's five or 10 people in this crew that know exactly what they're doing. And there's a hundred to 200 other people that have no idea what they're doing because they're just, they're being led to slaughter in like the way they view things. And it's like, and, and it's a weird thing where like, once you deconstruct your own worldview and you can realize how far off you've been, I think instead of realizing that you were so wrong and like going and trying to change everyone else's mind, it, at least for me, it gives me a new compassion for other people. Like it gives me a new compassion for, you know, racists and it gives me a new empathy for extremists. And I understand where ISIS is coming from. And do I agree with any of that? Absolutely not. But I think like I see myself in those scenarios, how I've acted in the past over, you know, much smaller and less uh, destructive scenarios. But it's like, you know, we're, we're going through the OJ Simpson documentary on Netflix right now as a band, actually, we're all kind of watching it and texting and talking about it. And it's like such an interesting thing to see six white dudes who've never had any struggles like that completely understand for, for the first time why the quote unquote race card is pulled and it's not a race card it's the race reality you know and it's like interesting because as we were talking earlier like started managing they started working with a hip-hop uh artist and i'm ingrained in that culture more than anyone in our band so for me i've had you know systematic racism talks with like you know sons of black panthers from la things like that and you know in interesting scenarios one of our friends in particular but he's got a really great story and, and he's just talked my ear off so like I'm, I'm kind of up to speed on why i'm why i have systematic racism and i don't even know it and then conversely we talk backwards and then to see some of the guys in our band see this for the first time you know it's such an interesting point of view because when you don't come from that world, if the thing doesn't connect, you know, you walk away going, why are all those people burning down their own neighborhood and beating up innocent white people? That's like the story we were fed, you know, our yeah. whole lives. It's like, you know what, you know what they did, them, you know, they didn't like one thing because of police brutality and they started burning their own neighborhood. That's how smart they are. No wonder why they're there. And to be fair, that's a fully reasonable opinion to have if you're fully blinded and one-sided. That's how every racist gets started. And then you realize like, oh, that's wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you realize like the second you can believe that without seeing the other side and having compassion, you're like, all it takes that spark to turn into a forest fire and now you have a white sheet on your head. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it, it, it's so easy to go from one 
balanced position going, that's interesting. I wonder why they did that. Oh, they must be like this instead of going, okay, well then go ask someone. And I think if you ask someone with a lot of intellect on the other side, you're going to understand and you're going to realize we're all in the middle here. No one's way over here and no one's way over there. No one's stupid and no one's right. No one's wrong. We're all just operating out of our experiences. And I think that's what's happened with a lot of Christians is like, I think Christianity is in the worst spot it's been in, in a really long time. And, and I think by a lot of, you know, by a lot of people's standards, like I'm not even a Christian and, and I'm okay with that. And so people go, yo, are you, got, are you, who's, who in the band still Christian? I'm like, one, that's the most ridiculous question to ask. Two, um, depending on who you ask and who you ask to, you know, corroborate, most of us aren't, that's okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a really interesting thing when you get vulnerable because you're right. Like you pull one brick and a lot of times the whole house falls down because you never actually had a house to begin with. It was all all just teetering on other people's opinions. So it's really hard to like have to talk to it yourself. And I think um, something that you've really hit upon with different extremist views, whether it is, uh, you know, the so-called alt-right, white supremacists, Islamic extremists, I, I would I would say even you know, the type of deep conspiracy theorists who follow like an Alex Jones, right? Or, you know, take your pick, right? I think, in my view, a lot of what's attractive about those type of ideologies is that they give you, you know, it's easy to say, well, everyone wants to belong to something and you get to be part of this group. And I think that's certainly part of it. But I think the biggest part of the psychological appeal is it gives you an explanation, Right. So if yeah, you don't have to think anymore, if you if you well, if you adopt this worldview, whether it's as an evangelical Christian, whether it's as a white supremacist, you now have this lens with which to view and interpret all of these events around you that are otherwise so complicated and in some cases inexplicable. And this is a way to say, well, these things that I don't understand now I can make sense of them because I have a set of principles that I use to interpret the world around me. And I think we see that a lot in the super partisanship and this kind of cold civil war that our country's in right now, where anytime there's any event in the news, each side has an immediate position on it. It's like, well, what does my team think about this issue? You know, here's our, and, and you see that now where, you know, Donald Trump can call the white house a dump and his supporters don't care. Whereas, you know, seven or eight years ago, Sean Hannity was freaking out on Fox News because Obama asked for mustard on his hamburger. And it's just, you know, it's and that's and and I'm sure you can identify. I I don't think that I'm not so much into the false equivalencies, but I think you can identify on the other side of that argument, certainly other things that are just as contradictory, but they're all fed by these predetermined list of rules about how you're going to interpret the world. And I would say that a lot of the world's major faiths kind of start from that beginning point, certainly in the kind of pre-scientific age of trying to understand and interpret natural phenomenon and things like that. But I think ultimately getting down to that big question of what is death and what's the purpose of life and how did we get here and where's it all going and so on. Definitely religion offers people some easy explanations to difficult questions in a lot of cases. And I think for me, you know, I understand, you know, kind of the new atheism and the the hardcore atheists that are out there right now. I understand where they're coming from in terms of the danger that is inherent in that type of a worldview. But by the same turn, I hate the notion that 
we're going to just do away with all magic and all mystery and all nuance and supernatural superstitions altogether. I mean, I think that there is some part that, whether it's existential philosophy, whether it's different mystics, whether it's different scriptures, I think there's some component of that that's essential to our experience as human beings. And that that's kind of where I've been, is kind of more engaged in the mystery of it. And, uh, you know, I do I- identify as a believer, but in so much as that's, a, a, you know, a particular path that I'm on, that I'm invested in, to where I've had enough experiences to keep me motivated and interested in that, I, I think that that whole mystery is part of the faith itself. Yeah, and I, I think you nailed it. And I think I'm similarly there in the sense of I grew up in this thing. Everything that stayed after the fire was worth keeping. And so I've just been building a new house. And I think that if I was, you know, raised in a very, you know, strict Muslim household, I'd just be a more moderate Muslim now. And and I, I, if I was raised in a, you know, Hasidic Jew household, I would have had, I mean, every, and I think what everyone forgets is like everyone that li- comes from an extremist worldview has to have their own rumspringa, whatever that means. You have to go figure it out for yourself. And the people that don't are the people that scare me. I mean, for, for people, I talk to kids all the time, like, man, like this just doesn't make sense. And like my parents say this or, and I'm just like, dude, it's all good. No one knows. And it doesn't even matter. Don't pay attention to that. Pay attention to the other side. And then when you realize like there's a good and a bad side to everything, then you realize like, dude, my Muslim neighbor, I have Muslim neighbors. Like, you know, Muslim neighbors have things to teach me and I have things to teach them. And if I was in their position, I would be a moderate Muslim and I, they would be a moderate Christian. We would still talk about how's your roof doing and do you have any sugar, you know? And I think that that's like, for a lot of people, that's really uncomfortable because I'm dining with a devil, you know, if, and, and the Christian side. That's really dangerous. That's super dangerous for you to be over there, man. But is it? And, and for me, it's like, it's just that thing where we've always been that way, always toured with, you know, bleeding through 18 visions, terror, you know, all of our friends have all come from different walks of life and different belief systems or don't believe anything. And so it's like, I've always been comfortable around people that believe differently than me. You know, I, I think I'm at the most moderate point in my own journey. And I think that what's really interesting to me is seeing people that are older than me, not experiencing what I've experienced at such a young age. You know, I was going to ask you what role you think it played for you as, you know, kind of a young Christian coming from the evangelical standpoint and joining this, you know, quote unquote Christian band in that you had a lot of experiences as a young adult going out on tour, you know, in the, in the hardcore scene and to some degrees, the punk scene, you know, doing things like Warp Tour. And of course, you know, who can forget the semi-legendary no effects under oath scenario on Warp Tour, whatever sure. year that was. You know, so you, you, you did encounter a lot of people with a lot of different belief systems and were able to obviously navigate that in different ways. And I think people who are coming from like a hardcore kind of fundamentalist Christian background look at that as well. You're out there in the world and you're witnessing and you're showing them an example of what a great Christian is and you're not being influenced by their belief. And I think by the same turn, people coming from completely the other side are thinking, oh, these poor little Christian kids who grew up super sheltered, like now at least they're out here with us and we're exposing them to like what's real and like getting rid of that backward superstition. And for me, I feel like like with many things, the real answer there, the real truth to that is probably somewhere in the middle. I'd be curious for, I was, for your thoughts. I was just about to say... Those are both extreme views and they're both right in moderation. 
And I think that that's the key is like, we were out saying, you know, we stand up here in the name of Jesus Christ. And deep down, what we wanted to do is we wanted to be a light. And, you know, even looking back, we never really talked about, we never were evangelical on tours. We never, you know, like we would be out with 18 Visions or God forbid or Atreyu. And we were never like doing evangelical thing of like, hey man, like if you were to die tonight, where would you go? Like, do you know, none of that. The, the most evangelical we were was on stage. And it was because we felt like we wanted to impact everyone. And we weren't confident enough in the way we carried ourselves and confident enough in our music to convey the difference and the message. So we would intentionally say, here's why we're here. And if you want to talk about it after the show, we'd love to talk about it. And I think what we lost in that is like, you just have to say that once, man. You don't have to say that every time you're in LA. Everyone gets it. And if they want to talk to you, they're going to talk to you, you know? Um, or you don't have to, you shouldn't have said it at all, but at 17, you can't really expect people to have a 34-year-old. Um, so I think we did the best with what we have, being a little bit sheltered. And then I think what happened on the other side is like being out with, you know, real regular people who are, you know, doing quote unquote things that they shouldn't or just being real. I think there was a lot of exposure to things that we'd never seen before. And there was that kind of sharpening on both sides. And, you know, going even going back to like the Fat Mike thing, like that dude just came after us. And, you know, and like one of the funny things about all of our, all of our like, quote unquote, witnessing or being a Christian or being a light, like, I just want to be positive. I always just wanted to like be a band that, you know, deep down what I realized is like, I just want to be a band that's always had respect, is respectful to support bands uh, is grateful for our support slot on a headline tour. I just want to be different because I just saw all this like anger and hostility. And then like, you know, this competition and this fierce, like, you know, you can't even be happy for, you know, this band because they had a bigger first week than you. And it's like, yeah, we all have businesses to run and we all want to be the biggest band we can. But like, and I, I think that, and that's not to preface that anyone of our friends like 18 or bleeding through or anyone was doing that just more like the global music industry at large like the fat Mike thing was interesting because that dude hates us and he doesn't hate us he hates what we stand for and the the cool thing about it is like we had a lot of looking back i think we had unbeknownst to us at the time but looking back like if i was our parents we had an immense amount of maturity in that situation. Yes. I mean, that dude would, that dude would come up to us and tell us about his sex dungeon experiences. And, you know, man, I had a threesome last week and, you know, the other night, like, you know, I mean, dude, some of the stuff he said was just trying to shock us, but the problem is it was actually true. And he was talking about, you know, some savage shit. And it's like, you know, he had kids and he had a wife and he's like, you know, I do this and my wife's okay. You know, I have this other apartment. And he was just trying to like gross us out or scare us off. We're like, dude, that's cool, man. Like, that's really cool. I wonder what that feels like. Like, I've never, I've never even had sex before. Like, <laughs> you know, the only person I've ever had sex with is my wife. And it's like, and, and that's like, oh, you fucking prude. I'm like, yeah, totally. Like, call me. I'm fine with that. It's the best decision I've ever made in my life. Uh, you know, as far as like exploring sexuality, I think. And obviously, if I can go back and try it the other way, like maybe I'm wrong, but. I don't care because this is the path I'm on. Going back to like, if I was a Muslim, I'd just be a happy Muslim. Like, it's not about like, you got it wrong. It's you're on a path, make it the best path you can. Um, but for me, what was interesting is he was going through a lot with his wife. And one week he came up 
you know, he's really into this weird stuff. Yeah, you know, I hired these girls and, you know, blocked out my back lounge, turned it into like one of my dungeon, this and that. Started telling me all the like, you know, crazy stuff that he was doing and had done to him. And he was like trying to just gross us out. And we would, you know, literally every day before we went on and played, we, we would, you know, get together, just huddle up real quick and be like, you know, quick prayer, like, yo, let's stay focused. Like, there's a fight. We're not going to lash out. We're going to act with integrity, respect. Like, let's be, like, live the way that we think we should live. And one day he comes up on the same tour and just says, hey, and he's like, I'm going through a lot of shit with uh, my wife and I got this weird thing going on and I don't really know how to deal with it. Like, would you guys pray for me? We said, sure. And we opened up our circle and, you know, put our arms around him and he put his arms around us and we prayed for him. And that was the last time we ever talked about it. Wow. And dudes are shaming us from stage saying we don't believe in science. We don't believe in dinosaurs. We think, you know, gay people are, are, you know, these, you know, disasters of science and they're faggots. And like, dude, we never said any of that shit. And it's just like, you just say what you want to say, dog. Like, say what you want to say. Like, we're just over here doing our thing. And that was like the pacifist, like just live your path and don't shove it down people's throats because look what it's doing over there. Nothing, you know? And so we just realized like the retaliation mentality or the evangelical mentality are just not the way. You just live good. And the way I portray my beliefs in this band now is the way we take care of people. And that's always been a thing. Our crew's taken care of. You know, we pay people right. Our manager treats people with respect. Nobody talks to our crew on any of our tours with disrespect. You know, that's where that line is. Is like everyone's human. We're a family riding around in the tube, trying to pay all of our bills and feed all of our families in different ways with our skill sets. No one's here is better than anyone else. And I think that those those type of traits are what I found are the new balanced version of our previous, maybe a little over the top evangelical traits. But people still walk away going, those dudes are stand up people. And, and, and not to say that we are, but that's my goal. You know, it's respect, it's dignity, and it's acceptance. And, you know, we, we went from super hard line, no beer on the bus, no this, no that, you know, no anything to just everyone respectfully be each other. And as, as long as you're not offending anyone, just be yourself. You want to be an atheist, be an atheist. You want to, you know, smoke or smoke weed or get hammered, like go do it. Just do it in a respectful way as long as it doesn't affect anyone else, you know? And we've gotten to a point where we're so liberal yet so intact with the initial idea just in a more human, adult, universal way. And, you know, the evangelical Christian person listening to this is outraged right now. And, it, and, that, and that's okay. And I think we shed that. And, and because that type of mentality is the same force that we have going in the Middle East, in the White House, in everything. It just divides. And if something's dividing, then it's not positive. And if God's who he is in our quote unquote version, and he's reconciling all things to him and all people, you know, then if it's, if it's divisive, then it must not be the right path, you know, and everyone tries to pull, well, what does it mean by this? And guess what? You just go back to, I don't know. That's okay. And all of a sudden you're, you're free, but you're free in a real way. You're not free in a, well, let me see what the scripture has to say. You're free in a real way. I know treating a gay person with disrespect is wrong. But what about this? I don't know. You think they chose that? I think so. Can't prove it. I can't. I don't know. Or sorry, not chose that. I mean, it was the, you know, the wave of uh, people always say like they chose, they choose it. And I'm always like, I don't know. 
I don't, I, I, and, I, and guess what? Neither of us are gay. So why are we talking about this? Well, if chose it, that's a problem. Like, is it? I don't know. You know, and it's like, it's this really interesting dialogue of you can just deflect without opposing. You're just like, I don't, I literally don't know. And I don't care. That's a human being. I don't care what they do. <laughs> so it's just like, it's just that I don't care and I don't know. And people get outraged because I should be, a, I should have a position. I should be voting against. I should be voting here. I should be voting there. I don't know. And I won't unless I do. And I, and I don't know is a terrifying answer to a lot of people because it's it, it's an unacceptable answer for themselves. They want they want answers. They want a clear definitive position on every single thing. I think it even gets back to, you know, you mentioned some fans asking you, "Well, are you still a Christian and who's who out of the six guys in the band is still a, you know, give me the checklist." And I think fundamentally that's the wrong question to ask. Question. You know. Terribly the wrong. There's question. so many more questions that are they would get so much more to the heart of what that person actually wants to know anyway that could be asked and that could yeah. be uh, less reductive. You know, and, and by the same turn, I would say, you know, this is one of the conversations that came up around the time that I did the interview with Tim Lambesis a few years ago. And, you know, it came out in that conversation that none of the members of As I Lay Dying had identified as Christians for a long time. And my stance on that personally, and I've said this before, if, if, just because you're an artist... And whether that's a filmmaker, a writer, a person in a band, what have you, you aren't obligated to confess your worldview uh, in terms of politics or religion or sexuality or anything else of the sort. You don't you don't have to have a public dialogue about exactly who you are in terms of your belief system. Now, I, for me, I think the artwork that I connect with the most reflects some sort of point of view. But that could mean that the definition of that is so broad. But by the same turn, the distinction that I make as it relates to what we're talking about right now, there is something to be said for the fact that, you know, if you're Rage Against the Machine, for example, and you made a certain viewpoint part and parcel of your overall presentation, and that was a big thing about your art, and that was a big thing about sort of the momentum that brought you to prominence, do you think in that case, there is an obligation to be transparent about those ideas if they change. You know, I think if, sure. if Rage Against the Machine went on tour next year and all of them have become, you know, Trump supporters, for example. Re Republicans, yeah, it's yeah. pretty necessary to the culture. I, th I th Yeah, I think it would be, uh, they they would then be obligated to be transparent about that. So, you know, it, it gives me kind of mixed feelings where, you know, in the Christian music scene, quote unquote, you know, because some of these bands like As I Lay Dying and some other bands that you and I both know, they were still continuing to play Christian festivals, you know, or they were still, you know, kids would come up to them after the show and say, hey, can we pray together? And they would, you know, Tim talked about, you know, putting his arm on somebody and just kind of like letting them pray or, you know, telling him he was going to take it to the bus or, and I understand the sort of difficult position as you grow and change and adapt, um, that that puts somebody in. But at the same time, it's kind of like, ah, it's complicated because you understand why there's that expectation because you did put that out there in the first place. So yeah, I'm curi is. curious it about is. your, your thoughts on that overall and, and I'm not and I'm not drawing a, a real clear line I just I do I think my own discomfort came you know as a manager even I was working with a band 
where I where I said, you know, look, you know, there have been some member changes and some different and some people had changed their attitudes about different things, and that's all fine. But I had said, look, you guys have all these Christian festivals coming up, and somebody wrote in an email, as long as the checks checks cash, I'm Christian, and that was the end of me working with that band shortly thereafter uh and it's not because hey you aren't christians anymore that was never the issue and i've never ever ever exclusively managed christian bands christian bands have always been honestly in the minority of artists and producers and so on that i've worked with but there was just something distasteful to me about the idea that you were when a band kind of starts lying by omission because they made it part of their thing in the first place yeah yeah and i think that you know we had uh, i think the second that we all and we're honest with each other is the same time we started honest with the public. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I, I can't remember what interview it was, but I think Spencer did an interview with AP and or something, but I remember there was some press where it just came out and we were just like, yeah, like not in the same spot anymore. And, you know, we were this and now we're just, you know, there's some Christians in the band still, but the band as a whole, you know, generally has never been Christian from a music standpoint. Oh, there's escape off. They're only chasing safety. And we didn't even write that song. That was her friend, Aaron Marsh from Copeland, you know, who wrote the breadth of that song lyrically. The rest of that word is all about hope, loss, wins, losses. It's the, it's the Christian worldview wrapped up in an artistic perspective. And then the last song on Lost in the Sound of Separation, same thing. And it's always like, you know, at the end of the road, you know, there's always hope. There's always this. There's always that. There was always this Job story, if it's negative. It was always in there, but it was never like, or it's just never evangelical. You know, we always said God in songs, but it was always done from a more abstract way. So I think the only thing that really changed when we, quote unquote, became not a Christian band is we stopped talking about it from stage and we stopped talking about it in interviews. And that was something that Chris and I, you know, were talking about a lot. It's like, we can't pretend to be a Christian band. Like, we just either have to be or not because we have to stop. And I think that was like a big thing where we were in a position where people were looking to us for guidance. And there was like a year, we had one kind of go in the purple door because we had stuff on the books, but we were kind of unearthing how we felt. And dude, people just coming up. We were the hug patrol and like the prayer patrol. And, you know, and we were all just like, oh no, like we can't be here ever. But the qualifier for us was let's, let's be the, the let's try to be the example of what this should look like if done right. That was always our thing is like, you know, we're going to go to like, quote unquote, weird, dark places like bars. Why are we so slimed out by going to Christian festivals? We're doing the <laughs> same thing. Yeah. We're, we're trying to show these lost people how life should work in the most reduced scenario. And I think that snippet is really offensive. That means I think 18 Visions is lost people. And that means I think Christians are lost people. The whole point of like, we're trying to be authentically us in two worlds that don't authentically represent us. But why are, why, why are they undeserving of our presence? None of them are. Being the odd man out on Warp Tour is much more, much more like there's a road to where you can normalize and just be yourself and not have everyone else have to be like you. We're, we were just at a, we were just going to these Christian festivals and like, we just realized like, dude, we can't fuck with this stuff anymore. Like we can't, like it, it was so, it, it just didn't work. And, and you know, be, I would rather be playing strip clubs 
than playing Christian festivals at, at that point because we were just so – it was just like this is exactly why we have all these problems. And it was really offensive to be there. It was also really offensive to, to feel that way against people that you should be treating with respect because they do things a little bit different. One unit on a belief system, we can't be there because the people that don't believe that anymore are getting very, very upset and for good reason because I still believe it and I get upset and we were always upset. And there was a time when we, as a Christian band, showed up to some of those festivals for the check. But you're allowed because you're, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're, you, you check a box. You check a cultural and conscious box. But what's the cost of a dollar? Not that. So it's just like, nope, we're out. It's interesting with Christian music that, I mean, if there, if there were, <laughs> for the record stores that are still left, you know, it's the only genre classification that is concerned with content versus style. You know, it's like, here's jazz, here's hip hop, here's metal, here's punk rock, here's Christian. It's like that, that in and of itself from the very beginning has been sort of nonsensical you know i mean i, I wouldn't put cat stevens in the islamic music section um you know dude 100 100 uh, or or imagine even if there was like a straight edge music section at the record store it's just it's just interesting the idea of of defining that by content and it already opens up a lot of doors that uh i've never been yeah. comfortable walking through personally yeah i mean that's just that that's that sad thing of just the reason why you have to have a subsect of culture is because we're protecting an idealistic system that crumbles the second reality hits. And I think that's why, that's the difference. That's why straight edge people can go into a bar and play because they're not swayed because they have a reasonable example of what they are and why they believe in what they believe. Is it extreme? Maybe. But is it easily disintegratable? No. And I think extreme, extreme Christianity and extreme Islam and extreme belief systems of deity and things you can't prove are the most volatile belief systems in the world. And that's why the powers that be protect them so heavily. And, you know, like a, it's a really interesting thing where from a Christian perspective, you're raised with, you know, you don't give the enemy even a foothold. That's like the cool, like Christianese thing to say. You know, don't don't give the devil an inch because he'll take a mile. Like, don't go associate with these people because you're exposing yourself to darkness. Like, don't speak this because you're speaking it into existence. Christianity from a conservative evangelical realm is so volatile that you can't even speak to certain people. Yet God is all powerful, all knowing and created all of this and can move mountains in the same kind of like mystical conservative headspace, but God can't like it's it's the weirdest it's the weirdest conundrum of like psychology, where God's so powerful that He can change the world, but yet the Christian faith is so weak where you can't step outside the lane for a bit because you'll never come back. Why is that? And the answer should be, I don't know. <laughs> let's talk about it let's let's talk about it asking yeah. those questions like the second you get those questions you say i don't know but in reality what they say is oh well john 476 says blah, blah, blah. you know a wolf and a lion sheep with wolf. Oh, it's a sheep and wolves sheep and wolves and then all of a sudden it's like see it's a, it's right there it's in the rule book it's in the playbook 
and yeah. it, and, it's, and, and that and that but, and that's pulling things so volatile? and that's without even getting into you know that's without even getting into the habit of pulling things out of the rule book context free you know no historical context no linguistic oh, understanding yeah. you know just liter- just pulling this out and conveniently applying it to whatever kind of cultural situation you know it, it's it's funny um one of the arguments that i've gotten from different super conservative evangelicals you know you often hear if you're if you're for marriage equality for example it's like oh you're just tickling the world's ear you're just adapting to culture and you know the church shouldn't bend the church has got these eternal truths and we can't just give in because culture's going a certain way and it's like if you would sit down for a second and do some homework you would learn that this view towards sexuality that exists in that line of thinking is itself a product of contemporary culture from different eras. You know, it's like, it's like, no, you're actually mm-hmm. clinging to something that was developed from a certain perspective that was informed by the dominant culture of the time. And that's, you know, it was changed from its initial understanding many times over, you know, and, and it's, and if you're really talking about something that's immutable and eternal, then you really need to yeah be very careful about, where you're landing. And yeah, and I think it's it's not only important to say I don't know, but I like the next thing that you added to that just now, which is I don't know, let's talk about it. And those are two things that seem to terrify people. I mean, how many times have you spoken to someone uh, of of a lot of different faiths? For example, you know, keeping the the homosexuality quote-unquote issue at the forefront here for a second, who will say, "I don't have a problem with gay people." I mean, they're they're, they're very welcome in my church. And they can, and what they're getting at, though, is it's like, they can come in and we can fix them. <laughs> it's like, I, is that... Sure. Is that the what sure, would Jesus sure. do? You know, is that the... Uh, is that really... You know, or, or the people that say, I mean, I'm a sinner too, you know? Sometimes I drink too much. And these... these uh, Yeah. These, oh, dude. Yeah. And, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, makes, it makes my skin Ugh. crawl at this point. And like you said, I mean, we have... We can have empathy for... Why someone develops such a narrow worldview, but the important thing I think that it sounds like we both arrived at at some point in in adulthood is, you know, I don't know and let's talk about it. There's a lot of I don't know and let's talk about it that you can still have a framework with which you're exploring all these ideas, right? But a context, um, a belief system but just being open to the idea that you don't know. And yeah, and especially that's where it's especially dangerous when we're talking about philosophical concepts that aren't, you know, proven with the type of empirical science that we're used to right now. I mean, and sure, I would and, and often do argue, you know, when it comes to things like the existence of a higher power of God and, and you know, certain supernatural events and phenomenon. There were, for the majority of human history, we didn't know that atoms were a thing because we didn't have any way to like detect or understand or explain them but they were there you know <laughs> and i i think our our senses are certainly limited and you know that's continuing to develop and change and i i, I find all of that exciting now as opposed to scary when you're kind of indoctrinated yeah. with a certain view it's it's well, scary and now now it's exciting <laughs> it, it, it is and i think you know for me it's like a fully comfortable position to be a gay affirming evolutionist 
who doesn't believe in a literal afterlife nor literal translation of the Bible and still call myself a Christian. And that's pretty wild. And then you have people like, you know, I think there's generations that are lost and that's okay. Like for me, I don't feel the need to argue about literal versus figurative and mystical or is there a heaven or a hell or is the rapture real or can gay people just be people, please? Um, I don't have the, I don't really feel the need to, 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 to talk to people that are 55 and up because what I've noticed, it's so far ingrained that it's just, it's just Gran Torino, you know, and it, it's going <laughs> to, yeah. it's going to, it's going to take, it's going to take an experience like that to change someone. You can't bring enough science and enough reason and logic to someone conservative that's grown up like that for 40 years and have a dialogue and have an, I don't know, let's talk about a conversation. What you can do is have an, I don't know, let's talk about a conversation with someone in their twenties or thirties or even moreover a child. And like, that's the really interesting thing. Like, I think my kids are the first time that like someone in my lineage hasn't been directly told what is going on in the universe and how to believe. My family and I go to church. We go to a very like straightforward liberal church and you know, the writings on the wall everywhere. If you want to see it, you can see it. If you don't, it's fine. But it's a very like, it's the only church I could ever stomach going to. Like I've literally told, you know, our pastor, like if this thing ever goes away, like I probably just won't go to church anymore. This is the only reasonable place I've found, which is probably a little bit hardline, but based on my experience, I understand how I got there. And I'm, I'm trying to unpack that and work backwards from there and try to be more open-minded. But for now, that's where I'm at. We, me and my, my kids were watching uh, Prince of Egypt, the old Disney cartoon, because they love Disney movies. And it was the, the Moses story. They were, they were seeing the, the positions of all of these people. And it's pretty verbatim from a biblical standpoint. And it's a, I, I was actually really surprised on how literal it is and that that, that movie got a, was allowed to be made. But it was the, the part where the Holy Spirit, quote unquote, uh, is coming to kill all of the Egyptian children. And if you're of the right tribe, you have to put blood on your door and the spirit will skip you. And my seven-year-old daughter watched that, watched that movie and the, the scene's pretty brutal. And she said, Dad, did God really kill all those kids? And I said, no. And she goes, because they didn't do anything wrong, right? Like God, God's mad at the, at the Pharaoh, but why would he kill all the kids? Like the kids are just like me. Why would he do that to, to me if you were the bad guy? And I said, you're right. He didn't. You know, and my wife, who's pretty conservative, kind of the default was like, yeah. He, like kind of, yes, the story's true. But I was like, Marin, no, that's not true. Like God didn't do that. This is a story and that's why it's a cartoon and that's why it's on TV and there's so much good and beauty, so much good and beauty to come from it. Just look, look at the guy who stood up for what was right. Like he won, you know, did the, did the C part? No, probably not. And if it did, I don't care, but no, God didn't kill all those children. What was a and, guy, and, and, was a guy swallowed by a whale and lived in its belly? Exactly. Is so, that the so, point but, of the story? No. 
<laughs> yeah. But it's what's interesting is like for a seven-year-old, my seven-year-old has a more logical take on the mysticism of Christianity rather yes. than the literalism yes. than some of my family members that are 50. And, and, and I think it's really interesting that like my seven-year-old knows more of the dialogue that should be happening internally based on the story than I, I mean, dude, it's unbelievable. And I went and saw Rob Bell a few times and I love that dude. And you know, he, he's a wild one, but he's super sick. And I think he's pretty much spot on on a lot of things. But he said one thing that really impacted me, I forget his wife's name, but he's like, me and my wife have a rule. People always talk about what to teach your kids. And like me and my wife have a rule. And the rule is we don't want to ever teach something that our children have to unlearn later. He's like, everyone's worried about teaching their kids stuff, but no one's thinking about what they're teaching that they're going to have to unlearn later. And it's like, there's Christians right now that know that homosexuality is fine, but they, they are so at war. A Christian, an evangelical Christian who's been raised to hate that abomination of an, of an act and a mindset, as they would say it. Dude, there's more Christians in the closet about being okay with homosexuality than homosexuals in the closet, or at least as many. And it's equally as destructive. And there's people, I, I don't even think half the pastors that get up and serve in churches every Sunday believe the shit they're saying. Nope. They're just scared shitless. And so it's like, you know, no, I mean, no one, no one calls bullshit on it. And, and for me, I'm just like, dude, give me a break. You know, and the only time I have a, I have a really opinionated, offended conversation with someone who's over the age of 40 is when they're trying to pass down those beliefs to people that are young and impressionable. And that's when I step in. I'm like, no, that's actually not true. And then we get in the dialogue of like, well, if that's not true, then the whole Bible's false because you can't, even, you know, we get into the whole rhetoric of, is it infallible? Is it not? Like, dude, the fact that you can't, you can pick, you shit, can pick and choose because that's how the whole thing was put together in the first place was people picking and choosing what was going to go in yeah. there and wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really interesting, but it's like, but, but then again, you always come back to like, where's the empathy? You have the empathy for the racist. You have the empathy for the yeah. the the homophobe because you have and you have empathy for you know and I mean racist on all fronts. You have I have empathy for a Muslim who hates me and my family for no good reason. Are they right? No, they're 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 completely out of touch. But when when I realize how quickly that happens and I see it happen in my own family, in my own band, in my own subculture. When we can be misled and brainwashed in those ways, even though we didn't do anything super destructive, I see how we just happen to be on the right side of the coin of extremism in the, in, in the sense that we weren't bombing people or crucifying people. But, but, but it was the same mindset. And I think when you can just be honest with yourself and be like, the extremist Christian in you is the extremist Muslim in him. Why are you any better? You got out of it only by the grace of other people giving you five minutes of their time to show you how wrong you were in a very mature and intellectual way, you can't, you, you have no choice but to give that grace to other people, you know? And, and, and that, that's a tough one because I'm debating every day. Is this when I step up or is this when I just have grace? Because, and it's, you know, di and it's difficult to live in the margins because, uh, you know, the, the most laughable criticism I ever get is the idea that someone like you or myself is a people pleaser. 
because it's like, guess what? Uh, we're not Christian enough for the Christians we know, and we haven't come to the atheist side, and that frustrates all our atheist friends. So <laughs> it, it, if, we're, if we're trying to be people pleasers, we're doing a horrific job because we're making people upset on both sides of most of these conversations. You know? Oh yeah. I mean, dude. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like I, I got to a spot a couple of years ago where like I have a natural dialect when I think about things and I have a natural like propensity to go straight in and speak it. And, and I always used to cover that up and then I realized I was doing that. And now, and now it's just a position where it's like, you know, man, the earth is 13 billion years old. If you think it's not, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, yeah. It, two plus two is five. If I if I could squeeze that into the Bible somewhere, would you believe it? Yeah, or, 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 <laughs> you know if, I mean? or if, you, uh, if you don't think that that's the exact number of the Earth's age and that that could be flexible and change as we learn more, great. But it definitely ain't 5,000 years old. And that's what I mean. Yeah, and, and it's, it's like, like and, well, then and, how did we get here? Yeah. And, and, how old is it? And this like, is my thing. Say, I don't know. Because I'll come along with my atheist friends, let's say, the Bible is not a science book. The, bio, the Bible is not a history book. The Bible is not a, you know, a book of, of rules, so to speak. By the same turn, it's not a piece of garbage that's been so destructive that it needs to be set on fire and forgotten about. Why does the answer have to be one or the other? Why does it have to be perfect and inerrant or destructive, abusive, contradictory garbage? Uh, guess what? There is sure. there is another way, and if anything, that's what I way. try to impress upon people on, on either sides of extremism. Is like, no, let's um, let's dive into the mystery, man. Let's let's keep an open mind uh, to all things. And I want to get back to something that you said actually that I think is really profound about your daughter's experience because it actually ties into something from the Bible. You know, Matthew eighteen three. Uh, you know, the thing where, where Jesus talks about becoming like little children, having a childlike faith, then that's what's going to allow you to enter the kingdom of heaven. And we can talk about all the different ideas of what the kingdom of heaven even means as a, a living, breathing thing here in this existence and this part of life, regardless of whether or not anything happens after or what happens after. But that childlike faith, I think it, you know, some come from a more critical standpoint might interpret that as saying like, oh, you've got to be dumb to believe in any of this stuff. I see it more as adopting that attitude that we had when we were, when we had a more pure and uncorrupted heart, right, as as children, and we're able to ask these questions from just a, a more instinctive, intuitive standpoint and to understand these things in a more natural way that makes more sense, you know, and I think that that's exactly what your daughter was doing. And I think the, where, where it does turn into child abuse, you know, even from really well-intended people is if you were to have answered her question with either a really simplistic, inconsistent, uh, totally supernatural fairy tale answer um or if you were to have sat down with a seven-year-old and, and gotten it you know and been like well if you, you know have you ever read soren kierkegaard uh you know let's talk about uh existentialism and what you know it's like no 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 like you that conversation that you had with her was that childlike base level of understanding that will create a path for her to walk down that i think will allow for for magic and mystery and understanding and mysticism and common sense to coexist as they should <laughs> 
I, I agree. Yeah. I think that, you know, the wonder of a child is something that we lose quickly and the common sense of a child is something that we lose quickly. I think there's brilliance in the untainted mind and the headspace of a child. And I think that there's, there's so much growth that they have to experience, to be effective human beings and effective members of society. But I think that it's amazing to see just a very clear head coming out of a five or six year old, you know, and I just had to talk to my kids, you know, about uh, a divorce in our family. Again, some of the most profound questions ever, like some of the most profound questions, but where is so-and-so going to sleep? Like he loves his bedroom. He shouldn't have to have two houses. He should have one house like we do. Just mother Teresa of like mindsets, just <laughs> all about yeah. like, I'm, I'm literally looking at these kids and I'm just telling them five small facts and keeping a lot of the gory details out. And their profound insight is thinking about details about the family members and the children that are affected in more clarity than the people that are in the thing doing the damage. They're like, why would they do that? Because this is gonna happen now. And I'm like, I wish, I wish that they, they, I know, but we, we, but we, we can't help it, you know? And, and so they got a taste of like other people act differently and there's like some good and some bad things that happen and I can't help them, but their gut instinct was right. Why would they do that? And not for any dumb reason. Like I like playing with someone and stating, I don't want them to move. It's like, it was these really heady, like meaty thoughts on whatever. And I told my daughter, Maren, like what a divorce was. I'm like, this is what happens. And then she literally goes, I knew something was up. That's why we haven't seen so-and-so. Wow. Wow. She's like, that's what it is. And, and I was like, yeah, you know, you know how mommy, you know, did the whole thing. You know how mommy and daddy are here. Like this is going to happen. Then mommy and daddy are going to be over here and here and here. Um, and she just is like, I knew it. I knew something was up and didn't know what divorce was, didn't know that it existed. So she just had this inkling. And then as soon as I put like a word and a context to the answer, she's like, I knew that was happening. I just didn't know what that was because no one talked to me about it. And the second that I gave it, gave it a name, she's like, got it. And then she said, but what about, ask me three or four questions. I think that's Matthew 18, three right there, man. <laughs> that's Matt. It's crazy. Yeah, that's Matthew 18 right there. You mentioned Rob Bell. You mentioned the church that you found. Where are you when it comes to your inner life and your spiritual life and, and so on? Um, where else are you finding inspiration from right now? And obviously, in creating music has always been part of that. Um, not not a lot. I've, I've over-contextualized the spirituality side of it. I always keep an eye on that. But I feel like that that answer is the same as you know, having someone who went to music theory school for seven years, right? You know, knows the ins and outs of music theory, but has never been able to write a punk song. And it's like for me, I'm just like, man, I, I got the point of literal Bible translation mentality, and I'm always just trying to experience other people's views and then see how they coexist. And what's that church called that you're going to? Church called Watermark in Tampa, and like me, James, Chris, all of our band goes there that are local. And it's super dope. And it's just, it's a perfect balance of like context and thought and intellect and balance. And then, yeah, I mean, C.S. Lewis, I like the liturgist podcast a lot, which is Science Mike and Michael Gunger. Yeah. I think Rob Bell's great. 
Pete Holmes is another one. Love Pete Holmes. That I really like. Yeah. I think, yeah, so I think Pete Holmes, like, context on reality is very close to mine. I started paying attention a lot to, like, first century Rome, like, meditation stuff and, like, transcendental meditation, Marcus Aurelius, these, like, philosophers. And it was, it's, there's so many inspirations out there. And I realized like, I like it all. And I think the biggest difference between Christianity when it's done right and the philosophy world is they're meditating on the same things, but philosophy is all inward. It's all about how to transcend yourself. And Christianity is all about recognize that we're all beautiful and help others transcend themselves even when they don't know how. Serve other people wash their feet. And I love that about Christianity. That's why I'll never not identify with that worldview to a degree. Even if I get to a point where I'm like, heaven, nope, hell, nope, Jesus, divine birth, nope, Christmas, nope. I could say, nope, 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 nope. I will always identify as a Christian to some degree because of the way that the root of the story portrays what it should be. You know? Awesome. I couldn't think of a better way to end this. Uh, Tim, thank you. I have a lot of love for you. I've appreciated uh, our conversations at different points over the years. They're always deep and meaningful. Um, Same. All right. Thanks, brother. I'll talk to you. That does it for this episode of No Prize From God. My thanks to Tim. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Downey. Instagram at Superhero HQ. And you can also follow the podcast at No Prize From God on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Yay! Please, if you like these conversations that we're having on here and you would like to hear more, it would be very, very beneficial and helpful to us if you would go in the iTunes store and wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a positive rating and a nice review. Uh, Reviews matter because the more of those there are, the more visibility the podcast gets and the more likely people are to discover this. No Prize From God is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. The No Prize From God cover art is by the wonderful artist and illustrator Dave Quiggle. Special shout out to producer Steve Evitz for helping me cut the intro to this show. You guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downey.